0: Well, thank you again to the Bell Choir. We appreciate you guys. What a wonderful, wonderful job they did. If you would, turn to Numbers. We're going to do the second part of chapter 9, and then we're going to go all the way through chapter 12. We're going to bite off a big chunk this morning. So I'm going to have to go quickly, which means you're going to have to listen even more quickly. And so uh, just uh, hang in there, and we will... We will be able to do this. <clears throat> the reason that we're doing this, though, is because it's really all part of one story. Uh, we see three different complaints um, in these pas- in this passage, this large passage that we're doing, but they all kind of connect. There's a, there's a theme that runs through them. And so we're going to look at them together this morning as Israel begins the journey towards the promised land. Up until now, we have been talking about, through the entire book of Numbers, God has been preparing Israel for this trip. And it is the trip of a lifetime. I mean, the promise that God would give the people of Israel a home had been a promise for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. And now, they were so close to it. They were getting ready to go on the journey so that they could claim a new home. There had to be a lot of excitement. There had to be a lot of nervous energy even about, man, it's finally here. It's like when that vacation that you have planned for, that mom and dad have been talking about forever, and finally it's here, and you're like, yes, we get to go. That's where we're at here with the people of Israel. And yet we're going to see today that it turns on a dime so quickly when they lose focus about what is going on. So if you would, we're going to read just a bit of chapter 9, and then we're going to read a bit of chapter 11. So if you would stand with me this morning that we may honor God's word, then we will do that together. Numbers chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 15 and read 15 through 18, and then we're going to skip over to chapter 11. It says, On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony." And at evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day, and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and the, at the command of the Lord, they camped, as long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle. They remained in camp. Turn with me over now to chapter 11. We're just going to read the first three verses of that. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them, consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of the place was called Tabira. Because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we've been blessed in so many ways. Lord, we have been blessed by your provision. Lord, that we have food, that we have shelter. Lord, we have been blessed by your presence. We have been blessed that you came and gave your one and only son, that you died For our mistakes. Lord we are blessed that you have given us things Lord. That other places in this world would count as luxuries. And yet we count them as nothing. Father I pray that you would open our eyes to that Lord. That we would be cognizant of it. That it would impact how we react to things. That it would impact our thankfulness towards you. That it would impact our attitude towards you. As you call us into service. Father, I pray that there would be a joy as we remember things that you have done. That there would be a rejoicing over them. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would open your word to our hearts. That we would hear it clearly. or that it would be presented in the manner that you would have it. So that it may change us from the inside out. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we get to chapter 9, the midpoint in chapter 9, there's an excitement as I spoke of earlier because the journey is beginning. Finally, after all of the census, after all of the rules and regulations, after all of the reminders about different things, now we're packed and we are ready to go and So you see here, but as we go on this journey, I want us to remember three things. As we proceed on this journey, I want us to remember three things that are going to have an impact. First, I want us to see and remember God's presence with his people. God's presence with his people. This is most of chapter 9 and and part of chapter 10. We see the very presence of God with them, and it's manifested in a cloud by day and an appearance of fire by night. Up until this point, everything had been a reminder. We see the blessing that God gives Aaron to give the people, and that blessing is a reminder that God will shine his face upon them, that he has selected them, that he has called them out to be his people. Then we read about the lampstand a few weeks ago and about how Aaron was to care for the lampstand because the lampstand was a symbol of God's eternal presence shining down on the people of Israel, how he would provide for them, how he would care for them. Then last week we looked at the Passover and it was yet another reminder of how God had saved them out of Egypt, how he had brought them to this place. It was a reminder of all that they had experienced so far and we even saw their desire. These guys had a desire, the people had a desire to celebrate that with God as he invited them to the table. But now here in chapter 9 we see that the, not, it's not just a reminder, it's the actual presence that they experience. The cloud of God's dwelling is placed over the tabernacle, over the place of worship, and it leads them out. It leads them out onto this journey. It is their guide. What a thing that is. To be able to have a physical manifestation of God's presence in our life. We're thankful that we have the Spirit. We're thankful that God speaks to us and guides us in this day. But what a thing that must have been. So we're reminded of God's presence with His people. And when God is present with His people, He has a calling, just as He has a calling on you and I, that we be holy as He is holy. That we do and we follow Him wherever He would take us because He is the one that's in charge. And rightfully so, because He is the one that saved us. The second thing I want us to remember as we think about the journey beginning is the time factor we have in numbers. Now, we discussed this a little bit when we got into numbers at the beginning of February, but there's a time factor that's important. We need to remember that in the first ten chapters, or sorry, first nine chapters, those nine chapters cover a period of 19 days. So roughly, you know, we're looking at a chapter every two days or so, all right? A lot is being covered in, those, in that time period. Moses is writing and recording what God would have him to record. The second section is chapter 10 through 14, and that covers 10 days. So we have five chapters representing 10 days. There's a lot going on that Moses is recording. We're getting blow by blow, as it might be. And then we get to the third section of Numbers. The third section of Numbers covers chapters 15 through 19 and it covers a period of 37 years let that sink in for a moment we have a first section 9 chapters covering 19 days we have 5 chapters then covering a period of 10 days and then we have 5 chapters covering 37 years Moses is no longer recording daily events. God is no longer leading him to say, hey, you need to record this and this and this and this. There is nothing, just snippets through over the years. Why? Why does that happen? I want us to be asking that question as we go through the next couple weeks, as we explore what happened in those 10 days that all of a sudden like, we fall off a cliff where nothing's being recorded because not much is happening. The last thing we need to remember as the journey begins, and we're gonna we're gonna go through this a couple of different ways, but we need to remember Israel's condition in Egypt. Israel's condition in Egypt. If you go back and you read the end of Genesis and you get into Exodus, you'll remember that the people of Israel at that time were just a couple, a few families, and they moved into Egypt to escape famine. And for a while, while Joseph was alive, everything was good, but eventually he passes away, and the pharaohs of Egypt, the people of Egypt, forget the good that he had done for them, and so they begin to oppress the people of Israel. They put them into slavery. Exodus 1, 13 through 14 records it this way. It says, So they, Egypt... Ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Exodus two twenty three records it this way: During those many days, the king of Egypt, the kings of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their, re- their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. This period of slavery was not a good one. It was bitter. It was full of hopelessness. It was full of, of heartbreak. You'll remember as well that in the story of Exodus, Pharaoh looks at the people of Israel and it's like, there's too many of them. we got to do something about this. And so Pharaoh sends a commandment that any little boy born to an Israelite woman was to be put to death. It was a heartbreaking time, a time of great bitterness, a, great, a time of great sorrow. And they cried out to God, please, please save us from this. Please come and rescue us from this. And so that's important for us to remember as we think about this journey. This journey from Sinai to the promised land. It was going to be about a 10-day journey. And it was, it was like the greatest thing you could ever imagine. It was bigger than any journey that you would take to Disneyland or Disney World or wherever your favorite theme park. I mean, this is the, the journey, the trip of all trips. And yet, this, their condition in Egypt is going to come up. And so we need to be thinking about that as well as we think about what's going to happen through these passages. And so as they start this journey, as they start this journey, it starts well. It starts well. We have the presence of the Lord coming over them. We have Him leading them. We have them making the silver trumpets as a reminder of God's presence and a reminder that He is Lord. We have... The Israelites doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're actually obeying. They're traveling in the manner that God told them to. The Levites are taking care of things the way that God has asked them to. Everything is going well until we get to chapter 11. Now remember, this isn't that long. This is a 10-day period that we're going to talk about all three of these complaints. They have not been traveling long when we get to the first complaint. We read it there in chapter 11, 1 through three. It is a general grumbling. It is a general grumbling. We're not told exactly we're not told exactly why they were grumbling. They were just upset about something. When I was reading this, I was reminded it's kind of like you know you start on a trip and everything is going well, but then it doesn't take too long before the kids start to complain. My, my, the bane of my dad's existence was that we would start on a trip and inevitably we were always going south, but we would start on a trip and what's the thing that dad always says right before you leave the house? Make sure you go to the restroom, okay? And so he would enforce that and we would do that and we would get five minutes down the road towards New London and we would say, I've got to go to the bathroom. And my dad would like want to beat his head against the steering wheel. It got to the point where eventually he just stopped saying that and we would just stop in New London. Honestly, we didn't need to go to the bathroom. We just knew that was where the candy was at, by the way. But the same thing happens here. They start on this amazing trip, and God has said, look, we're going to put this into place, and we're going to put this into place, and we're going to prepare this and this and this, and if you will just trust me, this trip will go great. And it's going to end in you walking into a new home flowing with milk and honey and all the blessings you could ever think of, and they get a little ways down the road, and they start complaining. They start saying, this isn't the way I had hoped. Saying things like, the desert is hot. Saying things like, I can imagine them complaining about their feet, complaining about the food, complaining about the the travel. And here's the thing, it's not just words here. When When it says that they are grumbling, that they complained in the hearing of the Lord, it's not just words, it's their attitude. It's their whole attitude. They're not coming to God and saying, oh, this is hard. I'm praying to you, God. Could you do something about this? They're not pleading with him in that sense. They are sitting around the campfire saying, can you believe this Moses guy? Can you believe he's taking us out into this desert? Can you believe how hot it is during the day? Can you believe that we have to eat manna again? And then it soaks into their their work. As they're gathering sticks for firewood, they're like, oh, couldn't we have gone somewhere where there was at least a tree every foot or so? Like, can you imagine? Like, it's not just their words, it's their whole attitude that's impacted here. It's like someone giving you a gift of going going to the beach and you complain because the car seat's too hard. Everything's paid for, everything's taken care of, everything is ready to go and you're complaining because the car seat's too hard or because mom and dad won't play the radio station you want. My dad's response to that was when it's your car, you can have the radio station. But we complain and they're complaining here and it affects the whole trip and it affects everyone around them. It affects everyone around them. Have you ever been around the person, everyone's hot, you're outside doing a job? And there's that guy that keeps saying, it's hot. It's like, no duh. Like we're all experiencing it. But it makes everyone else more miserable. That's what's happening here. And God looks at this. Remember, his presence is with them. He has provided everything they need. He has rescued them from slavery, from the bitterness of Egypt. And he looks at this and he says, this cannot continue. Just like a good parent says, this complaining cannot continue. An end must become apparent. And so God responds. He responds with fire. We're not told whether people are consumed. We're just told that the outlying parts of the camp are consumed. But God God disciplines his children. He doesn't allow it to go on. He pulls the car over. Okay? And what happens? They're like, oh, we screwed up. Moses, please make it stop. And Moses does. And there's grace there. This isn't destruction. This is discipline. There's a difference. And so God disciplines his people. And so then we continue on with our trip. Okay? We get back in the car. Everyone stops crying. And we go a little bit farther. But it's not too long. Because remember, 10 days. 10 days. We're not talking months here. We're talking a period of 10 days. So not in that 10 days, we have a first complaint. And then we stumble upon a second complaint. Look at verse 4. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. I love that word rabble, by the way. Like, that tells you all you need to know. The rabble among them. They get restless, okay? They get restless because the trip isn't what they expected, and they begin to whine, and then the rabble appear. And the rabble are those people in every group who just want to cause problems. You know who they are, right? Like, you in your group of friends, there's a rabble, right? I I had a great experience of being able to gather together with some high school friends on Friday night, and I was reminded that there was a rabble person. By the way, if you're in a group and you don't know who the rabble person is, it's probably you, okay? It's okay. You can repent. God can change your heart. But the rabble among them starts saying stuff, and they start going, and this is the kicker. There is no one in in the people of Israel who will stand up to the rabble and say, stop it. Stop it. This is not from God. This is not good. This is only hurting us. You need to knock it off. I love you, but stop complaining. No one does that. And so they continue to to stir the emotions of people around them. And what do they complain about? Verse 5 says, or sorry, let me go back up to the middle of 4. It says, and the people of Israel wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost us nothing. We remember the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. They complain about manna. They complain about the providence and the provision of God. Think about that for a minute. They're complaining about the provision of God. They were in the desert. There was nothing. And yet God had sent food from heaven, manna, for them to eat so that they wouldn't starve to death. He had met this great need in a great miracle. There are lots of miracles that we look at now and we say, oh, that's a miracle because of the timing. But we can understand how it happened. But it's a miracle because it happened. The quail are a perfect example of that. We actually, we know that quail migrated. But it's a miracle because... God connected a complaint with provision. Okay? The timing is the miracle. Manna is not like that. We don't know what manna is. We have no idea. It is just miracle. We don't know where it come from where it came from. We don't know how to explain it. We don't know exactly what it was. It was just a miracle. And yet they complain. They complain. And here's the thing. They have gotten restless and they have allowed the rabble to continue. And now they begin to remember incorrectly. Now they desire to return to the pleasure of Egypt. Think about this for a minute. It was slavery. It was bitter. It was heartbreaking. It was full of sorrow. They had seen their children die. And yet all they can think of is, I want garlic. Yes, we should laugh at that. We should be heartbroken about that too though. Think about that. They were more concerned about free fish than they were about slavery. They were misremembering their life. The rabble had stirred them up so much and they had become so focused on things that don't matter that they were valuing melons over freedom. That's crazy. That's crazy. And it was so crazy that it drove Moses nuts. Moses comes before God and is like, what do you want me to do with these people? You have put me in charge of crazy people. I don't know what that's like. But Moses is like, you've put me in charge of crazy people. What am I supposed to do with them? All they do is complain and moan and groan, and now they want to go back to Egypt. What the heck? So what's God's response? It is a response of discipline, but it is a response of grace. So often we look at the Old Testament and we see, we see harshness, what we think is being harsh. But what we see here is an act of, in many ways, an act of grace. The first thing he does is he finds assistance for Moses. He gathers together 70 guys, and it says that it took, he takes some of the spirit that he had put on Moses and he puts it in these 70 guys, and these 70 guys are there to stand with Moses, to protect Moses. They are now the ones that are supposed to go to the rabble and say, Stop it, friend. That's enough. That's enough complaining. How can we take care of this? And they're, they're there to be a buffer for Moses and a support for Moses. Then we see God take care of their want. Can you imagine? God had taken care of their need and the only response of the people was to complain about it. So now they want more and God gives it to them. That's a good family. That's a good father. Now, it doesn't come without discipline. The scripture tells us that while the meat was still between their teeth, that God brought about a plague. That word plague, by the way, is the same word used of the plagues of Egypt. You want to remember incorrectly? God will jog your memory. And so he brings about a plague, and it says that some of them, some of them died. It says there, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people and struck down. Sorry, this is verse 33. It was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kabruth-Hatava, Because they were buried, because there they buried the people who had the craving. That that word there, those that combination of word there means the graves of craving. God again disciplines his people. Remember, his presence is among them, but again, he doesn't destroy all of them. In fact, he meets a want for all of them, but he continues to discipline. He continues to remind them, "Hey, get it together. This is not the way we're supposed to act." Remember all that I've given you. Remember where we're going. We are going to somewhere grand. It's only going to take you 10 days. And so he disciplines his people, but he doesn't destroy them. Then we come to the third complaint. And at least for Moses, this is the complaint that cuts deep. This is the complaint that cuts deep. Because this complaint comes from family. It says Miriam in verse in chapter 12 Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married for he had married a Cushite woman and they said has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses has he not spoken through us also so we have Moses challenged here now depending on where you where you think Cush is this is talking about his first wife and he only has one wife or it's talking about a second wife we're not sure it just depends scholars are split it doesn't really matter because the real truth is this has nothing to do with his wife. The wife was a cover. The complaint about the wife was a complete cover for their true intentions. Aaron and Miriam were older siblings that were jealous of their younger sibling. That's what it came down to. Aaron and Miriam come to Aaron and they say, We are tired of taking commands from our little brother. You think that God hasn't spoken to us equal to you? And Aaron, Aaron was the high priest. Miriam was a prophetess. God had spoken to them, but they were just like, you know what, Moses, you're not the one going to call the shots. They were just jealous. And because they had listened to the restlessness of the people, they had listened to the rabble, they had been caught up in remembering incorrectly what had happened, now they began to outright rebel. It's all, this is jealousy and rebellion is what we see here. And then we see very quickly the response of God. Moses, Moses is heartbroken. Moses doesn't know how to respond. Can you imagine your family coming to you and being like, we're tired of you? They're the ones out of, out of this whole group of people, out of 600,000, maybe more, many more They're the ones that are supposed to support you, and yet they're the ones standing in front of you going, you're doing an awful job. We think we could do better. God responds quickly. God's response first is the defense of Moses. I love love what he says here, mostly because it brings back memories for me. He says, And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called to Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. Before, Let me read a little bit before that in verse 4. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. If you had a sibling, or even if you didn't, you know this sound. You three, come here. Okay? In my case, it was you two, get over here. And it didn't matter which one of you had screwed up. You knew both of you were in for it. God looks at these three, at these three siblings and says, The three of you, come here. And the cloud descends over them. Okay? Picture this. These three these three siblings who are squabbling over jealousy. And God calls them before. And you can just imagine. They come before the tent. And they've got to be scared out of their mind. And the, the cloud descends. And you know their head just dropped. And God says, look. What are you doing? You know Moses is my chosen he says here Hear my words if there is a prophet among you i the lord make himself known in a vision i speak with him in a dream not so with my servant moses he is faithful in all my house meaning that he has done faithfully with all that i had given him and with him i speak mouth to mouth clearly not in riddles and he beholds the form of the lord why then are you not afraid to speak against him now, we don't know exactly what God means there with he beholds my form. We know that anyone, God tells Moses later, anybody that sees me in my full glory, he's, he's not going to make it. But apparently God and Moses had this intimate relationship This where they, he saw him. It wasn't a, wasn't a dream. It wasn't a vision. They spoke in a way different than you and I can comprehend. And God says, who are you to speak against the one that I've put over you? Who are you to speak against the one that I have called a shepherd of my people? So Moses Moses doesn't defend himself. God comes to his defense, and he sets Aaron and Miriam straight. And then we see Miriam's leprosy. Again, we see the discipline of God. The cloud is lifted, and you can imagine these three are looking down, and the cloud's lifted, and every single one of us, if you had a sibling, when you were in trouble together, you did the eye peek, right? Like, once dad walked away, once mom walked away, you did the eye peek. Just make sure the other one was alive. Like, did he, are you there? Like, are are we okay? Okay. And you can imagine Aaron standing there, and Aaron does the eye peek. And what does Aaron see? But Miriam is full of leprosy. Leprosy that rots your skin off. It was a death sentence. And it's not like she just had a spot on her. She was white with it. It was consuming her Again, God disciplines his children. Aaron cries out to Moses. He says, do not punish us for because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Aaron gets it. He says, please do something. And so Moses, being an incredible brother and being quick to forgive, Moses begins to plead with God, please, please don't kill her. And God relents and God says, put her outside of the camp. She needs to go through the rules. God had laid out a covenant. If you were leprosy, you had leprosy, you needed to be outside the camp for so long. And so they did that. They did that. Notice again, though, God's grace. God doesn't, he's not here to destroy people. He's here to discipline so they get on the right track. It's not his desire here that Miriam perish, the desire that they get they get right, that they refocus on what's important. And so we have these three complaints, and they all happen in a matter of moments, and it's just this descent. It's this descent that we see. The first part and the descent is something that we can understand. We all, oh, we get restless. God calls us on this amazing journey. He has saved you and I if we are believers in him. We, he has saved us. He has called us out of slavery. He has called us on this grand trip. And the end of the grand trip is heaven. It's the hope for all eternity. And yet we got, we start on this trip and we begin to get restless because it's not what we thought. We begin to get restless because we don't have everything we want. We begin to to lose focus on where we're going and who called us to go. And we begin to complain. And then after we complain, the rabble appear. After we complain, the rabble appear. Those who would cause dissension, those who would try to stir the pot a little bit, and if we're not careful, if there's no one to stand up, no one to go to them in care and say, this is not right, we can't continue down this path. Stop, stop the complaining. Stop your rabble rousing. If there's no one to do that, then it continues. And then when it, when it continues, we begin to remember, but we only remember the pleasure. We begin to remember our lives, before Christ, we begin to remember our sin, and, but we only remember the pleasure. We only remember the good parts of it. We only remember how it made us feel in that instant. We forget the fact that it was destroying us. We forget the fact that it was leading us away from pleasure, that, from ultimate pleasure, from ultimate contentment. We forget that it created this hunger inside of us that could not be satisfied. We forget that it was a time of bitterness. We forget the sorrow. We forget all of it because we've completely lost focus. And then we begin to rebel. We just flat out begin to rebel. We get tired of being told this is the way you should go. We forget that God, the God who tells us that has our best interest in heart, and we begin to rebel. We've seen that in our own lives, don't we? Maybe you're in one of these stages. We see that in the life of churches, don't we? Churches get called onto a vision and God begins to use them. But, you know, something happens and we begin to get restless. We begin to complain and then the rabble appear in the church and there's no one that'll stand up and say, brother or sister, this is not right. And so it continues on and then we start misremembering the old days like before we started this program or before we started this this direction, like things were so much better and we forget that we weren't doing anything. We forget that really it wasn't that good and then we just flat out start rebelling and then people get hurt. Churches get hurt. We We forget that Discipline comes with this. It's not in your notes. But God God won't stand idly by while this happens. He disciplines. He disciplines us in this. He, he doesn't seek to destroy us, but he seeks to remind us to get refocused. Which brings us to our example. Paul says in the New Testament, Paul says, Paul reminds us, and we've said this several times as we've gone along, But Paul says, these things were written down so that we may know how to act, so that we may know how to respond. So we've seen the restlessness, we've seen the rabble, we've seen the misremembering, we've seen the rebellion. So, how do we respond? What should we be doing? Number one, we should refocus. We should refocus. Remember where we're headed, remember why we're doing what we're doing. Second, we should reunite. This means that, yes, we're going to have to go to some brothers and sisters and maybe ask for forgiveness. I heard a great line the other day, that and it was just a great reminder. It's, it's a truth that I know, but it's a great reminder that you don't have to forgive someone. You don't have to wait to forgive somebody until they ask for it. You can forgive without an apology being extended. We need to come back together. We need to refocus on Christ. We need to come back together. Sometimes that means Offering forgiveness. Sometimes that means asking for forgiveness. Sometimes that just means getting involved. Then we need to remember, but we need to remember correctly. We need to remember our salvation. We've talked a lot about here about you need to tell your own story to yourself. You need to remind yourself of of what God did in your life. When's the last time you really thought back through of all the things that God has done in your life? Not only your salvation, but all the things since then. When have you reminded of yourself? Because if you're not reminding yourself of those things, you're going to forget, and then you're going to remember incorrectly. And it's going to impact how you move forward. So let's remember well. And sometimes that means going to a friend, to a brother or sister in Christ, and saying, help me to remember my story correctly. There was a time in my life when I had to do that. When I was really seriously doubting my salvation, I had gone through a time of rebellion. I did not remember my own story correctly. And I had to go to my friends. I had to go to my family and say, help me to remember. And it was an amazing time of God walking me through those things and reminding me that I was his child. Sometimes we need that. But let us remember correctly about where he has brought us from and where he is taking us. Lastly, let us rejoice. Rather than rebel, let us rejoice. Let us remember that we have been saved from slavery, that we have been saved from bitterness, that we have been saved from destruction, and let us rejoice about what He has done and what He is going to do. This is why we sing. We don't sing just because it's what churches do. We sing because there should be something in our hearts that desires to rejoice And singing just has a way of making that happen. It's why we should be a people of joy. It doesn't mean we're always happy. There are times for grief. There are times for sorrow. Absolutely. We live in a broken world where those things are part of the human experience. But we approach them differently. As a whole, we should be seen as a people of joy. Or... How do people see you? Do they see you and see your life and go, wow, there's a there's someone that has something different. There's something that has somebody, somebody that has something special. Or do they look and they go, wow, that's a grump. Sorry. That's a grump. I don't want to be like that. Is that what happens when you go to First Baptist? And heck, No, I don't want to go there. Let us examine ourselves in these manners and let us not be grumps, but let us not rebel, but let us rejoice in all that He has done. Because He has done some great things, folks. He has done some wonderful things. I look around this room and some of these stories I can't share because they're not my story. But I see stories of salvation. I see stories of healing. I see stories of God building families i see stories of god being faithful from one generation to the next generation to the next generation god has done great things in our midst let us not long for garlic and fish let us long for the glories of heaven and let us rejoice in it i'm going to ask the praise team to come back up we're just going to have a time of response Maybe this morning you find yourself stuck in that cycle somewhere on that path of descent and you say, you know what, I'm getting restless and I need to refocus. I'm, I'm starting to let the rabble impact my thoughts. I'm starting to be maybe the rabble. Maybe you're remembering, starting to remember incorrectly and you're wanting to go back to things that destroyed you. And you're like, man, I need to focus on what's ahead instead. Maybe you're in rebellion, whatever the case may be. This is a call, an invitation. The Lord does not desire to destroy. The Lord desires to save. The Lord desires to save. He desires to forgive. He desires to reunite. This morning, I would just encourage you to do that. Maybe that's praying where you're seating. Maybe that's coming to the altar and making confession maybe that's going and seeking forgiveness from a brother or sister but this morning you respond the way that god's speaking to you let me pray father we just come before you and lord you have called us on this great journey and lord you have given us everything that we need to make it and and really in the span of things we think of life as being so long and 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 stretched out and yet lord it is it might as well be 10 days Lord, it is a short period. It goes by in a flash. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us as a people to focus on where we're going and who's calling us. Lord, that it would make us a people of rejoicing. That it would make us a people of joy. That the world around us would see us and desire what we have. And when they ask, we would say, it's nothing, nothing that we have done. It's all of what he has done. Lord, i pray for those in our midst that are hurting i pray for those in our midst that are searching that you would call them to yourself at this time that you would heal wounds that only you could heal father we pray all of this in the holy name of jesus christ amen